Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you would like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. As we continue our journey through Proverbs this week, we're looking at the topic of self-control. Now, in our world with limitless possibilities, self-control seems elusive. Overeating, under-budgeting, binge-drinking, living large... It's the norm. And so people say, well, if no one gets hurt, what's the problem? Well, in our series this week, we're going to learn what Proverbs has to say about the need for self-control, the source for self-control, and how we learn to live with self-control. We need God's grace, which appeared for us in Jesus. And Jesus came so we could be safe against the chaos. We belong to him and are loved by him. And the more we grasp that, the more self-control we have. I can't wait to dive deeply into this incredible gift of the Spirit that we call self-control. Here are the Proverbs that we'll be considering this week on the topic of self-control. It's Proverbs 18.10, Proverbs 23, verses 19 through 21, and Proverbs 25, verse 28. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is in their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Listen, my child, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. This is God's word. It's a day of mutual struggle, a rite of passage, the very first time you drop your child off at school. Now, if you're a caretaker, you know the struggle is keeping it all together emotionally. Because in that moment, you can feel the curtain come down on a stage of your life. And you know the benefits that await your child through that educational experience, but letting go is a really hard thing to do. But maybe if you're not a parent, you've seen this same moment through the lens of the child. Having to say goodbye to the people who have been your source of security, now entering a new world that you've never experienced with the simple assurance that, quote-unquote, this will be good for you. What stands before that child, to her or to him, seems to have no value. Or at least very little compared to the value of being home. But of course, caretakers have a higher knowledge. They have wisdom. They know this will be painful in the short term, this really tough goodbye on day one, but the long-term gain of education and socialization is undeniable. And maybe you're wondering, okay, we're talking about self-control, so Pastor Johnny, what does this have to do with self-control? In a word, everything. We as children of God are always being parented by our Heavenly Father. No matter who you are, whether you're in Norway, 
or in South Florida, or in Maryland, or in South America, or in Asia. All these different places where the podcast is being listened to by God's grace. No matter who you are, we all have urges. We all have desires. We have different things that we grieve over, or maybe even different addictions we struggle with. And I have a good hunch that at one point or another, or maybe right now in your life, you've looked at temptations, the ones that you feel like you're falling to over and over again, and have had this thought, God, what good is this doing me? Just take it away. But the universal struggle remains. Self-control often feels like it's constantly an inch out of reach. If we're going to have the grace-given character trait of self-control, because remember, wisdom, according to the Bible, is not just a rule book, here you go, this is how you handle life situations, but God's wisdom, it makes us into a person who makes wise decisions. It's something only His grace can do. If we're going to have that grace-given character trait of self-control, we need to confront the frequent feeling that confronts us all the time, that the struggle is not beneficial. It's one of Satan's biggest lies. We have to confront that. Then we need to know what motivated Jesus' self-control. And then, we can only, only then, can we see what motivates and empowers us to live self-controlled lives too. Because often fighting the good fight, battling temptation, seems to hamper more than make holy. Makes me think back to my junior year of college. I was doing some homework in my room late one Thursday night, and a dear friend of mine came bursting into my room he closed the door immediately and the tears started flowing the second he sat down on the couch. He broke down talking about his addiction to porn. He said, I prayed to God. Where is he? Why am I still addicted to this? I think we can relate. We look at that sin we keep falling to. And we wonder why God doesn't give us the fortitude instantaneously when we ask for it. What's underlying there? Well, underlying is our sin-confused foolishness which says, God, I can see no good reason for this. So there simply can't be one. We drift into thinking, maybe God can't give me what I need to overcome, to have control, to have peace. When we think God is not enough, well, what do we do? We turn horizontally to find refuge instead of vertically. And the security we'll find there is nothing but imagination. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 11. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. So the, the rich, in this illustration, put all their sense of stability in life in their wealth. But notice what Proverbs says next. They imagine it, a wall, too high to scale. In other words, it's not real. It's an illusion. Neither wealth nor anything else in this world can give you the self-control or relief you seek apart from the Lord. But before we get into that, maybe you're wondering why the metaphor of city walls is being used in connection to self-control. Maybe you've been to ancient cities and you see the walls and you think, oh, it's a neat architectural feature. But here's the reason why walls are so important. A city without walls in ancient times was so disastrous because you were vulnerable to theft and military conquest. But if you had walls and especially a fortified tower, which we're going to talk about later, you'd be safe. But if even one part of the wall was broken, your security was gone. As we observe our own spiritual walls, if you will, the problem we have are the breaches. Every one of us in this world has one, and usually a lot more than one, breaches like being drawn to sexual temptation, eating too much, drinking too much, wallowing in grief too much, self-pitying when things don't go our way. The list goes on. But again, if we bind to Satan's narrative that God isn't enough, what will we do? We'll turn horizontally to find some sort of counterfeit control or relief. And that's where literally anything can become dangerous when it becomes the thing you use to stabilize your life. 
self-medicating. I'm not just talking about substances like drugs and alcohol, but even family members, even your friends, even your work, even your recreation can all have this effect too. And usually such behaviors, you know what they do? They create an escapist life. Deep down, we all have struggles. Feelings like worthlessness, feelings of guilt, sleep-depriving shame, the anxiety of inadequacy that makes us stutter and look down and we try to find stability and relief. And often in that urgency, we choose to use things to stabilize us that in the long term are not going to be for our gain. And that's what happens when we run to the horizontal things of the world as our peace. Now, psychologists, I'm going to share with you a cycle of addiction that they use for people who do have addictive behaviors. It really applies to anything we use to try to find stability when we feel out of control and lost. Here's the cycle. We use something to momentarily relieve distress. Usually it's something that's immediately right there. We go to it and we hope that that's going to give us relief. And maybe it does for the short term. But then we get addicted to that so-called relief. And then we need more and more of it to get that same emotional high or that same sense of security. And then as time goes on, we have to deal with that relief, quote unquote, and that becomes an issue and the cycle goes on and on. We let the urgent overtake the lasting. And this happens when we don't see the value of the struggle. And we don't see the value of the struggle of why God allows or even sends the struggle into our lives, the struggle overtakes us. And eventually, it even identifies us. Proverbs 23, verses 20 through 21 says this, Do not join those who drink too much or gorge themselves on meat. So they're doing an action to self-medicate to try to have stability. But notice the transition that happens. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. They're trying to sleep through life. They're trying to make it through life. They go from people who do these sorts of things to people who are these sorts of things. This is what identifies them now. And that's why we must not run horizontally, but vertically. It's the core of Proverbs 18, verse 10, this beautiful passage. The name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Now, when the Bible speaks of the name of the Lord, it's infinitely more than just the letters of his name. It's his reputation, his deeds, and his characteristics. Just like when you hear someone's name, you don't just see the letters, you see their face, you think of who they are, you think of what they've done. When we hear the Lord's name, we find in him our complete security, our hope, our life, all because of who he is and what he's done. And we as children of God, we don't just walk to him, we don't just slowly make our way to him, we run to him with all we have. So then why is God's name referred to as a tower? Well, it goes back to the ancient Near East, right? The tower was the place in the city of ultimate safety, where you have the high ground, which, of course, even Obi-Wan Kenobi recognized gives you the supreme position. Sorry, I just instantly, when I heard, when I thought of the term high ground, Revenge of the Sith thoughts immediately popped in my head. Excuse my Star Wars nerdiness. But seriously, when you and I direct our minds and hearts to think simply of the greatness of our God, his empathy, his grace, his joy, we have the perfect position through him to observe our thoughts, to be in that high ground, if you will, to observe our thoughts, our behavioral patterns, our triggers, our sins. We stand with him, not while in the heat of spiritual battle, it's there that we're shielded by who God is and what he's done, kept secure by his name. But therein lies one of the deepest heart struggles we have as Christians. God, if you've done all this for me, and this is who you are, why do you still allow or even send pain into my life? You say you only discipline those you love. That's Hebrews 12. But how can this be love? 
When we think such thoughts, what are we doing? We are buying into the scams of Satan, sin, and self. And we're saying such things to God because so often we convince ourselves that such pain and struggle and battle will produce nothing, which is a total lie. Or Satan does the flip side, just like we talked about last week, pride and despair, two sides, same coin. If despair doesn't work, we say, well, there's no point for me to struggle with this. There's no lasting result. There's no good thing that can come through it. The other side is pride, where Satan persuades us that we want to have self-control, not to do it out of joy for Jesus, but we do it simply to boost our pride and say, look, I beat that, or I conquered that on my own. In both ways, we miss out on what battling temptation is all about. You know what it is? This might shock you. The battle for temptation that Jesus allows in your life, it's all about joy. Now, maybe you're wondering, how can such struggles bring about joy? Well, look no further than the one who didn't stay aloof from the fray, but who went outside the city walls, out of security, for the ultimate battle for you. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's talking with God the Father, and he says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. His entire life led up to this moment. He knew every second he lived that the ultimate trial and test was coming. And this is a huge question, one of the most monumental questions of Scripture. Why did Jesus leave heaven? How did he have self-control despite having every temptation thrown at him consistently and incessantly throughout his 33 years of life? Why did he go through all that he did when already, he already had everything as true God? What did he have to gain? He went through it all because he was missing one thing. He was missing you. Jesus didn't drink every last drop of the cup of God's wrath and punishment because he felt guilty for creating you. He didn't endure all the suffering he did his entire life because he had to. He didn't willingly let himself be nailed through, begrudgingly thinking, oh, I guess I'll do this for him, I guess I'll do this for her, but I'm not happy about it. No. What does Hebrews 12 say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured temptation and test. Because his joy to be reunited with you, his joy to experience life with you, his joy to rescue you, motivated him every second he walked this earth. When you know that it was all for the joy of you, that Jesus came, had perfect self-control, died and rose, you understand Hebrews 12.3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you think of the joy of gaining you that gave Jesus self-control, you don't lose heart in the struggle. You see what truly motivates and gives you the character trait of self-control. Because again, Proverbs is all about becoming wise by God's grace. It's not just a rule book telling you the moral rules of what to do. With that viewpoint of grace, you see your own struggles as more than temptations. But it's testing. In fact, in the Bible, the word translated temptation can also be translated testing. It's refining. It's making you more and more like Jesus. Is there anything more incredible than that? Grace teaches us to say no, to have self-control. Love for Jesus is all in all when it comes to self-control. But here's the thing. When love for Jesus motivates you in life, time goes by far differently. Now, often we tend to see our testing as never-ending. Oh, the struggle will never go away. Is that not the thrust of the question, God, why can't you just take this struggle away? What are we saying? We're saying, I've had enough, God. This is past the expiration date of being healthy for my spiritual growth. But when we love Jesus, when our souls by grace are all into anticipating the joy that awaits us through the struggle, we learn to love our Heavenly Father for his discipline and testing. 
Not that we become masochists and enjoy pain for the sake of pain. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know the harvest of righteousness is coming. That's Hebrews 12, 11. Now, the same friend who struggled with porn I was telling you about earlier, he'd be the first to attest to this. About a year ago, he and I chatted and reminisced back to that moment. And he said, if God wouldn't have allowed that struggle in my life, I wouldn't be who I am today. Now, of course, I had to ask him what he meant. And he said, I wouldn't be a pastor, which he is now. I wouldn't be a pastor getting to help those in the same struggle. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the same mentality about marriage as I do now. I wouldn't have realized just how reliant I am on God's grace and how I want to be relying on his grace. What happened? A harvest of righteousness. To the point that now when a sexual testing comes up, he says, let's do this, Jesus. And he celebrates the joy of temptation conquered. Because self-control really is all about celebrating God's grace. Now, no such struggle feels good in the moment, but such struggle brings about a forever effect. Such is the nature of Christianity. Short-term pain, but eternally long-term gain. It's the exact opposite of what the world can offer you. It reminds me of a Christian man who has become so much more than just a Hebrew professor to me, but a friend of the highest caliber. His name is Mark Paustian. He's written several different books, but in one of his books, he told the story of a college student who was overwhelmed by her struggles with depression. And she was desperate to try anything to take away the pain, to have some semblance of relief. And this is what he asked her to do the next time the shadow of depression's darkness came around. And I share this with you because this is what we can be thinking too when that temptation comes. When you're struggling to have self-control, think of it this way. This is what he wrote. What if Jesus were sitting next to you in this chair right here and he looked into your eyes with those liquid eyes of his, the ones that have seen every sad thing in the world, and he said, sweetheart, would you do this for me? Are you willing? God never told us to figure him out. He simply tells us to follow him. He'll make a way. He's in control of what you can't control. And that's the joy set before you. And the love that will carry you through flames, refining you, and giving you so much more than just self-control, but to make you more and more like Jesus. Amen. As you go into spiritual battle this week, remember the tools that you have, the, the sword of the Spirit through the Word as God gives you His amazing gospel to guide you and strengthen you. Think of prayer. You get to go to God in that struggle to set your mind on things above, to set your mind on who He is and what He's done, His name. My prayers are with you that you see the joy before you. That in these moments of testing, it's not there to punish you, it's not there to hurt you, but it's there to make you more and more like Jesus, the greatest identity in the world. God's richest blessings as you live for Him now and always. Mm -hmm.